electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Oh, how can I thank you, Brian? Thank you very much. And here is what ahead, what's ahead on the exchange today. The Dow fading after being up more than 400 points earlier on positive vaccine news. But is the market maybe signaling that it shouldn't be hanging all its hopes on data from just 45 patients? Plus, Chipotle pledging to add 10,000 workers nationwide. The stock up more than 140% since the March lows. And they're not the only ones hiring. We will go inside the restaurant hiring spree straight ahead. And as American businesses adapt to the new normal, we're going to check back in with the CEO of the Count Basie Performance Center in New Jersey. The old school way they are driving the bottom line higher. But we begin with today's markets and Bob Pisani. Bob stocks losing a little bit of steam today. Yeah, we're having a little bit of problem, uh, Tyler. Let's take a look at the S&P and the, uh, the Dow. The key thing here is we're failing right around the break-even point for the year. That's about 3230, 3232 or so. Uh, and uh, that was the also the June high. So we keep getting right up against that and falling back again. So that's become a little bit of resistance. There's the S&P 500 the last few days. You see how choppy it's been? We've been in a better than 100-point range in the last three days. Um, that's fairly volatile. The market's trying to figure out a lot of things. It's got a lot on its mind. Here's what's moving the markets. Number one, the most important thing is vaccine optimism out there. That's what's holding up the market. People believe it's somewhere out there on the horizon. The problem is the reopening story. It's not clear how much of a reopening versus a reclosing story. It's very murky. And that's giving a little agita to the market. You can see it on a daily basis. How about the earnings? Well, they're okay, but it's really early and it's very cloudy on the guidance. I think that's going to continue. I want to see another week's worth of commentary to see if we get any clearer uh, idea about what the third quarter is looking about. But I'm not optimistic about that. And we're seeing this week, at least this week, value over growth. What does that mean, value over growth? Well, it means mega caps generally sell off because they're the big growth stocks. So this week, some of the big names, you know, like Amazon, for example, uh, are generally on the downside. They're being used as a source of funds to buy into, put up some of those mega cap stocks. They're being used as a source of funds to buy into other sectors of the market. So you see Apple, Microsoft, Amazon down here today. Modest moves up on Apple as well. Value, what is value? They're moving into airlines and a little bit on restaurants and a little bit on retail stocks, guys. That's the story. Back to you. All right, Robert, thank you very much. Shares of Moderna higher on news that its vaccine produced antibodies. Meg Terrell joins me now with the latest. Hi, Meg. Hey, Tyler. Well, these were the full phase one results of Moderna's trial of its COVID-19 vaccine published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Remember, back in May, we got a peek at these data, but now we have the full set. But as you said, it is only 45 participants. Uh, They were all healthy, ages 18 to 55, who enrolled in this study. They got two shots about a month apart. And what they found was that all of the volunteers in this study generated neutralizing antibodies, the ones that actually block the virus from being able to infect cells. And in the dose that they're taking into the larger phase three study, they found the levels of those antibodies were two to four times higher what you would see in patients who've actually recovered from the disease. 
but they did have side effects like fatigue, headache, muscle pain uh, that they found, especially after the second dose. So that'll be something to watch. They do plan on starting a 30,000 participant phase three trial in the United States July 27th, which really puts them neck and neck with Pfizer, which has also said it plans to start one in July as well. But there are still several questions that remain about this vaccine and really all of the vaccines that are in development. Uh, one, how protective will it really be and how long will that protection last? Two, of course, the broader safety and the longer term safety. And three, just how long it's going to take to collect these data, to get through the regulatory process, and then to ramp up supply and get the distributions in place to get this vaccine out to people. So Tyler, it is a first step today, but a long way to go before we've got this vaccine for lots of folks. I was going to ask you about the side effect profile, but you, you mentioned that a little bit. If there's any more, you can tell us there. Great. But I think the key question here is how persistent are these antibodies? How long do they last? Mm -hmm. Do we know? Was there anything about that in this study or not? Yeah, so this is just an interim look at the study up to about two months out. And so we saw the antibody levels up until something like day 57. Mm -hmm. um, they seemed to peak at day 43 and then came down slightly in the two weeks after that. But this is a really short amount of time. So we're going to have to see longer term data to know. Yeah, it's an interesting area as we look at uh, the potential for vaccines and how long they will work for us. Meg Terrell, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, the positive vaccine news was exactly the shot in the arm, so to speak, that the Dow needed to reach above 27,000 for the first time in more than a month. But stocks fading again as the day wears on here. Wall Street has seen this pattern before, two steps forward on developments in the fight against the coronavirus, and then one step back on a reopening rollback. So can investors break this cycle? With us now is Chris Zaccarelli, Chief Investment Officer of the Independent Advisor Alliance, and Margie Patel, Senior Portfolio Manager of Wells Fargo Asset Management. Margie, what do you think is going to happen here as we move through the summer? Are we in a trading range or, and, and sort of captive to the headlines or what? Well, really, since the end of May, we have been in a flattish trading range market, really not going anywhere. And I think the real keynote will be, as we see earnings, three-quarters of companies should report negative earnings. But I think more important, their outlook. Have we hit the bottom with a V? Companies are then looking for advancing activity, or are companies still not having found a bottom yet to move forward in the economy? And I think that'll be the real keynote, what to look for in companies' earnings. I personally think so much negativity, the surprise will be on the upside. The market will get through this quarterly uh, announcements and move up for the rest of the year. Chris, you make the point that the, that the Federal Reserve and the federal government uh, have, have been the backstop for this market. What if that doesn't persist? What if there isn't follow-on fiscal stimulus? Um, I think we can pretty much count on the Fed doing whatever it can do uh, to backstop the, uh, the economy, if not the markets. But, but how about that? Well, I agree. I mean, clearly the Fed has had the markets back this entire time. All that liquidity that they've injected into the system, let's call it somewhere between 4 and $6 trillion, when you couple that with the fiscal stimulus that the U.S. government has put in there. So I think the Fed has made a commitment to stay behind the market to, in order to keep things um, calm and orderly. However, it's really the federal government at this point that can be the marginal difference in terms of supporting the economy. We saw with all the bank earnings yesterday and to a lesser extent this morning, there's a lot of loan loss provisions out there. So I think if you listen to what the CEOs are saying at some 
some of the larger banks, they are uh, mentioning some caution on, on going forward. And so I do believe it's important in order to support those consumers, you are going to have to continue to see continued stimulus. At the end of the year, the fiscal uh, stimulus in terms of unemployment benefits is scheduled to run out. I do think they'll come to some type of compromise. I don't think politicians on either side of the aisle want the economy to go down right before the election. So I think there's there's bipartisan support for some type of, of, uh, of package, but it's just a question of how they make those compromises and, and what happens. In the absence of mm-hmm. that stimulus, I do think the market is a little bit at risk. Let's get uh, to some specific sectors that you both like uh, or, or would uh, loathe. Uh, Margie, starting with you, the banks had pretty good reports generally today. Do you like financials or would you be putting fresh money in other sectors of the market or in individual names that you want to mention? Uh, we've been avoiding a financial sector for quite some time. Uh, they haven't gotten the lift from net interest margins or from low rates. We haven't seen loans really increase. Losses are going up. We think it's a very uninteresting sector. So we're looking at other sectors. Uh, technology, healthcare are still the two big sectors that we think have the most opportunity. All right. And uh, Chris, why don't you dance us through here? You list financials as one of the sectors you do like, but you also like healthcare care uh, and uh, select portions of emerging markets. So so give me your profile here. Sure. And again, to be clear, we're, we're very selective. We're looking within specific parts of the financial services industry. We would not be broad buyers of the of the index in and of itself. There's certain best-of-class uh, names that are still out there, and they're operating very well. In addition, you can look in other areas besides the large banks in terms of the exchanges and, mm-hmm. in, and look at for increased volatility going forward. In emerging markets, again, you want to be selective. You wouldn't want to just buy a broad index of emerging markets. You want to look within certain companies within China, within India, that we believe will provide some of those uh, growth opportunities that you've already seen come to realization, full valuation in the United States. But if you look overseas, those same growth opportunities are there just at a lower valuation. And we think if you are going to look internationally, you want to be selective. And and now may be a good time in the middle of the year to look outside the U.S. instead of just looking inside the U.S. It's a really good point there. Uh, You know, when we speak of financials or we speak of health care, it's a very broad sector. There are financials and then there are certain subsectors there, uh, which is your point. And in health care, the same. You can go into the pharmaceuticals, the the device makers and so on and so forth, the hospital companies, what have you. All right, folks, thank you very much. Chris, Margie, we appreciate it. And we have a news alert now on Apple. And for that, we go to Josh Lipton. Josh. So, Tyler, Apple just now announcing new features for Apple News and Apple News Plus. So here are the features. They're going to include audio stories of some of the best feature stories from Apple News. In other words, audio versions of some of the stories published by, just for example, Essence, Fast Company, and GQ. This is something others are doing, too, by the way, like the New York Times, which bought Autumn, the audio app. Interestingly, remember, the New York Times just recently pulled out of its partnership with Apple news. There will also be a daily audio news briefing hosted by Apple News editors and curated local news collecting starting in five cities and regions. Apple News, we know, has 125 million monthly readers. The company does not break out users, though, for Apple News Plus, the subscription service that costs $10 a month. Bottom line, why do investors care about this? Gene Munster of Loop Ventures says Apple News is not important in and of itself. It doesn't move the needle financially, he says. But he says it is part, of course, of that bigger, broader strategy for Apple, finding services to build and monetize. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Josh Lipton. And uh, when we return from retail foot traffic to traffic congestion, a closer look at the data that Jeffries uses to track the recovery and what that data are telling them. Plus, it is tax day. 
and work from home may help some high-income earners avoid paying business and income taxes in the cities where they typically work. We'll tell you why. And they're reopened and people came, lots of them, in cars. We will check back in with the CEO of one of the performing arts centers in New Jersey and find out how they've changed course to adjust to this new normal. The Exchange returns in two minutes. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, everybody. State economies are in flux across the country as coronavirus cases spike in hotspots such as Texas, Alabama, California. And to get a better idea of just how local economies are faring and what that means for the broader recovery, Jeffries tracks real-time data like consumer foot traffic, restaurant bookings, and transportation levels. And while activity had been trending higher, especially around the July 4th weekend, warning signs are beginning to crop up again. For more, let's bring in Aneta Markoska. She is chief financial, financial economist at Jefferies. Aneta, welcome. What are the data telling you? The data are telling us that activity clearly is losing steam. So our index uh, pretty much moved in a straight line higher from about mid-April to mid-June. Uh, and then it started to flatline for about three weeks, moved sideways. And then last week, it actually looks like it's starting to tip over. Uh, and that's a pretty broad-based loss of momentum that we're seeing across most of the indicators that we're watching. Is this because, uh, take us into the numbers a little deeper. Yeah. Is this because, for example, People are now a little more fearful about going out. They're a little more fearful about going to retail uh, destinations or to restaurants. What are you seeing that tells you that what are the numbers behind that overall finding? Yeah, so that's a great question. So we actually have the ability to dig into the state level. And what we initially saw was a clear loss of momentum in the COVID hotspots. So your Sunbelt states. Um, that was sort of that started. They started to peak out uh, mid-June, and that was the initial driver of the loss of momentum. What we're starting to see now, actually, is the Midwest follow a very similar pattern, both in terms of cases accelerating and now activity starting to level off. And it looks like the Midwest is actually running precisely one month be behind the Sun Belt in terms of the patterns we're seeing in the data. And even in the Northeast, where you know the virus is still obviously under control, but even there, we're starting to see some signs of activity leveling off. And that's telling us that that could be a behavioral response, uh, you know, to what's going on uh, in other parts of the country. But also uh, under underneath all of mm -hmm. th these data could be the fact the fact that this fiscal support is, is fading, as we know, um, right. there's pretty much no support from stimulus checks. So uh, and that was a very significant driver of that positive momentum early in the reopening. Aneta, I want to go back if we can, if the control room can, to that chart that showed the 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 
time series of of performance of the economy. That one right there. And we're looking there at how the economy falls off in, in early March and then slowly, slowly, slowly gathers momentum. And now it seems to be rolling over a little bit. We're talking here about slowing economic activity. But we're, as I look at that graph, it looks like it is very marginally coming down. What is the, the amplitude of that decline? So you're absolutely right. We're not looking at a massive contraction. But remember, the markets tends to tr- trade not on levels of activity, but on the rate of change, right? Your second derivatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you actually look at the growth rates, whether it's you now week on week, our index is contracting month over month. We went from 40 percent growth rates, uh, which is where we were mid-June, to down, you know, mid-single digits. Uh, and that suggests that you know, after this very strong momentum that we saw in official government data in both May mm-hmm. and June, July is clearly at risk, and we could see flat to maybe even slightly uh, down um, uh, in terms of jobs, in terms of retail activity. So, so much for the V-shaped recovery, Aneta Markoska. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. Thank you for your explanation. Thank you for having me. And coming up, how some high-income earners could avoid paying some business and income taxes this year. They're using a location tracking app to help them do it. We will explain and talk to the company that makes that app. Plus, the NBA taking a gamble with its lack of COVID coverage, insurance coverage, that is. A closer look at the risk for players and the league. And a reminder, you can always watch us or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The exchange is back in two. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the exchange. Markets right now are a little bit off their highs. As you see there, 428 was the high on the Dow Industrials, now up 188. It did nip above 27,000 earlier today, but not so now. Here are some of the movers this hour. Volatile day for shares of United Health. The insurer reported a second quarter profit that more than doubled, helped by lower medical costs as people deferred non-emergency health care. But it also warned of a cost rebound in the near future as Americans do catch up on a Appointments and surgeries. Let's take a look at shares of UNH right now. And as you see, they are down about two and a third percent. PVH climbing after it announced it is shuttering 162 retail stores and cutting 12 percent of its North American workforce. Let's look at PVH uh, higher now on those news of uh, sort of cost trimming measures up three dollars and 76 cents at 5027. And on tax day, shares of H&R Block are climbing on the back of an upgrade to buy at North Coast Research with a $20 price target. 
And there you see it at 1505, up 10% on the day alone. It is, Sue, happy tax day. Happy tax day, if there is such a thing. But I guess if you're getting a refund, it is. Hi, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your news update at this hour. Just a short time ago, attorneys for the family of George Floyd said that they have filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis and the four police officers involved in his death, which sparked nationwide protests. Ireland is postponing plans to reopen its pubs and nightclubs until August 10th due to a rise in coronavirus cases among younger people. The government is also mulling an indoor face mask mandate and a potential ban on foreign travel. Alabama's Governor Kay Ivey is mandating face coverings be worn in public after days of alarming increases in cases and hospitalizations. The new requirement goes into effect tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And Army medical personnel have arrived at Houston's United Memorial Medical Center to help alleviate staffing shortages due to an influx in COVID-19 patients. They are opening a new wing, tie dedicated to only COVID-19 cases. You are up to date, Ty. I'll send it back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Sue Herrera. And it is tax day, as we just mentioned. And this tax season, uh, investment professionals who normally work in New York City are now trying to find a way out of paying city taxes as they work from home rather than from the office. Of course, it doesn't help you with your 2019 return right now. But Robert Frank has the story. Hi, Robert. Tyler, and happy tax day to you. We've got wealthy taxpayers right now on the move. And the business of helping them lower their tax bills during COVID and after the election is surging. Moneo, which is a company that offers an app that allows taxpayers to track their location to help them with audits, said business for New York City clients has more than doubled in May and June over last year. And a lot of them are hedge funders and private equity chiefs who have been working outside the city and want to avoid the city's unincorporated business tax by showing they were not working in the city since March. Now, New York expects revenues from that tax to fall by $300 million. But accountants to the wealthy say it could be more than twice that. And many high earners have also started the process of moving more permanently to the Hamptons, Connecticut, and even Florida. Joining us now to talk more about this is the CEO and co-founder of Maneo, Anupam Singhal. Anupam, thank you so much for joining us. So we don't really have data. We do have a lot of anecdotal evidence right now that the wealthy are leaving high-tax cities and states during covid your app is kind of an early window into that. What are you seeing? How many wealthy people are leaving New York City and even the high-tax states of the Northeast? Right. Well, thanks uh, for having me on the show, uh, Robert and Tyler. Um, you're exactly right. I mean, in fact, even before the COVID uh, uh, situation hit, we were seeing spikes in terms of people leaving the Northeast states or just high-tax states in general, whether it was the Northeast or uh, on the West Coast, places like California, to move to lower or no tax states. Um, and that was triggered in part by the uh, Trump Tax Act that essentially capped the amount of deduction you could take uh, on your state and local taxes on your federal return. Now, with COVID and companies, I mean, we've all seen, unfortunately, massive disruptions around the world in terms of companies mandating work from home. And so many folks are looking at that situation and saying, hey, I can be anywhere. And for a multitude of reasons, they choose to move away, and that's only picking up. So I think you mentioned this. We've seen an increase in terms of uh, paying subscribers on our individual products specifically uh, of about two and a half times in the months of May and June compared to the same time last year 
on the enterprise side of our business, we're seeing about two and a half to three times as much interest uh, in the same time period compared to the same period last year, because companies are also grappling with this new era of distributed workforce that they don't have any visibility or real control into. Let me ask you a quick question about someone. uh, Excuse me, Robert, for jumping in here. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, do you expect that the city of New York will try and and challenge the idea that a worker who formerly worked at 30 Rock is now working out of his or her home in Greenwich or Bergen County, New Jersey, and say, well, hey, wait a minute, Uh, that's not how this was supposed to work. Do you think they're going to come after those folks? It's, uh, you know, what I can tell you is that we, from what we have seen by way of the data uh, from New York State uh, Tax Department, for example, uh, data that we have secured at Topia, which is uh, the owner of Maneo now, um, uh, that, that shows that New York State, states like New York aren't just standing by and watching this tax revenue leave their state, right? I mean, every time a wealthy person leaves or a company moves out of a state like New York, that's a big hit to the tax revenue for that state. And they're not taking that easily. Uh, so we've seen very significant increases in the audit activity level, which is essentially the state saying, hey, we're going to just uh, be more diligent about enforcing the laws that exist on the books and try to get our fair share mm-hmm. of the revenue that we are owed. So absolutely, they're not going to stand by. As it relates to the laws specifically, well, today the law allows for it, uh, technically speaking. But yes, I wouldn't be surprised if they look at that and and try to reevaluate it uh, in, a, in a scenario where fiscal uh, balance sheets are taking taking a hit all around, whether it's companies or taxpayers. So I think everyone's trying and to do I'll, the best to, they can. Just to finish, and just to finish on that point, just to explain what your product does. So it tracks people's location, which sounds a little creepy. Maybe people might not be willing to do that, but they can use it really for audit defense. So how effective is it? If you go to the auditors who say, you know, we're not sure you were out of New York long enough to no longer pay taxes, how does your app data help them? Does it guarantee that they'll, they'll see through that audit, or do they have to have a lot of other stuff to prove they were out of the state? Right. That's a great question. So, Robert, uh, I think we've talked about this before. We, um, uh, Maneo is now a Topia company, and we have a variety of different products and offerings that help um, uh, break down the barriers that allow companies and individuals to live and work anywhere. Uh, the specific product you're referring to is the Maneo Personal Edition, which is an app-based product that does help individuals uh, that are, say, changing their domicile or tax residency actually be able to create a digital record that helps them establish that tax residency status and then be able to defend it uh, effectively in an audit, which is almost inevitable when you're when you're high income and you're moving out of the state. Um, so. The short answer to your question is, no, no, it's not a silver bullet. It does not guarantee a win in an audit. Uh, I I think really nothing can. Uh, There is no silver bullet, maybe aside from you inserting a chip into your brain and and, uh, using data out of that. But, you know, uh, we're not in that business, and I don't expect that is happening anytime soon. Uh, But what we have seen is that uh, for our clients over the last several years, um, they've had a near-perfect success rate in terms of being able to leverage this data out of the, their service with Maneo Personal Edition and being able to uh, represent themselves in audits uh, with their tax advisors. Great. 
Anupam, thanks so much. Something we're going to keep a close eye on in the coming months and even next tax year. Thanks for joining us. Tyler, back to you. Hi, Robert. Uh, Thank you very much as well. Uh, Cruise lines, they could see some smooth sailing. Yes, I'm not kidding. Chipotle is reopening uh, and has a big hiring plan and truly hard seltzers sparkling sales. All that and more coming up in today's edition of Rapid Fire. The exchange will be right back. All right, folks, welcome back. Let's catch up on a few stories that should be on your radar this day. It is time for Rapid Fire. And here with their takes are Seema Modi, Frank Holland, Kate Rogers. Welcome, all three of you. First topic is Moderna's vaccine news. That seems to be giving cruise stocks a bump in kind of a second derivative play here. Shares of Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise Lines, Carnival, all up double digits. Seema, it is welcome news for an industry that continues to burn cash as the ships are in port. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tyler. Today's price action reflects just how dependent cruise lines are on a vaccine. Now, in the meantime, they are working on all these new protocols that they hope to introduce once they potentially get back to sea this fall. Social distancing on board, masks, temperature checks, including reducing uh, the occupancy that they operate at, which, Tyler, you and I discussed with Royal Caribbean CEO Richard Fain about a month ago. But they're not going to make as much money with all these new protocols. That's why they're so dependent on this vaccine, not only coming to market, but being widely available to the masses. In fact, SunTrust today is saying, yes, it's great to see these cruise lines up double digits, but they're very cautious on this move because they said you need to have this vaccine available to everyone, specifically those individuals above the age of 70 that have pre-existing conditions that may not feel comfortable getting on board, even if you have all these new measures. What are you hearing about bookings later in the year and into 2021, Seema? 2021 looks much better than perhaps many people would expect. Norwegian CEO told us the same last week that bookings are increasing for 2021. But with a cancellation policy that allows you to cancel 48 hours before you get on board, I've been hearing a lot of people are just booking that cruise because of the low price point and saying we can always cancel if we don't feel comfortable getting on board. They also have a lot of debt, don't they, Seema, those companies and and at high rates? They do. In fact, today, Carnival raised about $1.25 billion in new bonds in in a mix of dollars and euros, but again, at a really high rate of around Mm -hmm. 10%. That's slightly better than the debt they raised at around 12% just about eight weeks ago. Uh, But yeah, it just shows you how they have to keep going back to the debt market to raise money if they're not sailing uh, for the foreseeable future. Those rates sound like my first mortgage years ago. All right, Kate, we turn to you and uh, Chipotle, which has pledged now to hire 10,000 workers over the next few months as it opens its 100th Chipotle. Yes, I pronounced it correctly to accommodate its digital order growth. The stock up nearly 100 percent since the March lows. We've been seeing, Kate, a hiring spree in the restaurant space, largely but not entirely driven by uh, drive through operations. Yeah, Tyler, that's right. We've seen a lot of changing consumer preferences uh, throughout the pandemic, kind of leaning into carry out and delivery. Chipotle's done a really uh 
fantastic job with building out its digital business. It continues to grow. It was up over 80% last quarter. They report earnings next week. We'll see what it did uh, this quarter, but they have carry out and they have this order ahead system with the Chipotle's, which you place your order, you go and you pick up your food, but these digitally driven locations are a bit more labor intensive. So that's why you're seeing this big hiring announcement, 10,000 workers over the next few months. But we've also heard from Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, Papa John's, and uh, Domino's Pizza also hiring in really big numbers because consumers, again, are turning to these brands. Really stark contrast from the broader restaurant industry. We've seen 8 million people either furloughed or laid off because so many restaurants can't operate. So once again, investors really putting their money behind some of the names that have been able to not only sustain but really grow business in this challenging time. Well, Frank Holland, if you go to Chipotle and get a burrito, if you can't get a beer there, you need a beer, a Boston beer, maybe a truly hard seltzer. Evercore ISI initiating Boston beer on the uh, strength of its hard seltzer brand, Truly. The firm gives the stock an outperform rating uh, and a price target of $725, up 16% from current levels. This hard seltzer uh, category, Frank, has been really, really hot, particularly among um, younger people, also among women. Yeah, Tyler, don't take this the wrong way. I don't see you as a seltzer drinker. Uh, you, you got that right. Yeah, it's, it's, but seltzer's definitely on fire. It's the fastest growing segment of the alcohol business. 200% <laughs> growth in 2019. Projected 54% growth this year. Boston Beer, it has about a quarter of the overall market with its Truly brand. It also recently introduced Truly Lemonade, which so far has been a fast seller. So as we can all say right here, seltzer, it's popular. People seem to love it. And looking ahead, um, we're looking at it right here. Truly is expected to be 50% of Boston Beer's revenue this year, 70% in 2022. So it's going to continue to grow. Another thing you have to look at is that seltzer has a huge runway. About 17% of households, they've had seltzer now. 74% of households have had beer. So there's a lot more people that can try seltzer and maybe like it and continue this fantastic growth story. Uh, Kate and Seema have faint smiles on their faces here. Uh, Do you like it, ladies? Uh, Seema, do you like it? I like it. It brings me brings back memories to last summer. I was at a party and a lot of people were saying claw is a law, which perhaps raises more questions about the people that I hang out with. But (laughs) this idea that hard seltzer has embedded itself in this millennial culture and also uh, has done such a great job at marketing in front of this younger audience. I think that tells you a lot about its success. Kate. Uh, Tyler, I'm, I'm a wine girl. I don't know what to say. <laughs> this seltzer is not for me. I've tried it. It's okay. I like regular seltzers. Spike seltzer is not my thing, but I will say younger people that I know and in my family love it. I think, as Seema said, it's become kind of this pop culture phenomenon, and everyone is very into it. The, the numbers are just really astounding in terms of growth looking forward, but not my thing. I got to say, more of a rosé girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 not, I'm not on board, but boy, you see a lot of people coming out of stores with right. it. All right, folks, let's move to the last topic, and that is the NBA getting ready to restart its season at the bubble campus at Disney World in Orlando. But the league's insurance policy will not cover expenses for canceled games as a result of COVID-19. Our CNBC.com sports business reporter Jabari Young joins us now to explain. Take us through this one, and then I'm going to have a follow-up question for you, Jabari. Well, in full transparency, I am a salsa drinker. I had it the other day. I loved it. I am going to start drinking it from here on out. So All that's right. just, you know, there you that go. Out there for you guys. Um, also, you know, this is the uh, the problem, Tyler. You know, uh, the insurance industry uh, is having to, you know, readjust some things just like how uh, they did during our 9-11 when after, you know, terrorism, uh, when the federal government had to step in and have to back uh, terrorism insurance in order for the insurance companies to back it as well. So I think that's what you're going to see with the virus protection around all insurances, not just the NBA. You focus on the NBA because that's the first big event 
uh, happening from all the sports, uh, all the four leagues, the major leagues uh, that the NBA is controlling down at the Disney uh, campus. But they'll be covered for everything else. But if it's anything virus related, they definitely will not be covered. But the players still have some workers comp. Uh, that they will be protected under. So if they do contract coronavirus uh, or COVID issues, that they can actually, uh, you know, go and re- reimburse themselves through workman's comp. Now, Florida's workman- workman's comp laws are very, very interesting. Uh, not really all the way up to, to date with them, but very interesting where it kind of is all, almost saying, like, if you do accept workers' comp, you basically uh, you, you surrender your rights to go after the company uh, that, you know, that, that, that did have the event because you uh, do take the workers' comp. So it's a very interesting thing that sports leagues are going to have to battle through mm-hmm. from here on out if they expect to have fans. And if they don't, uh, then they'll, they'll, they basically lowers the risk of them having any type of lawsuit, uh, opening themselves up for any type of Jabari, lawsuit. Jabari, do you think this bubble idea is going to work? I mean, th- th- this, this is a lot of young men who are, who are accustomed to, uh, let's just say, a vigorous social life. I think you know what I'm, what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Uh, so can the bubble can the bubble survive those pressures that that are going to bound to come toward it? Well, listen, you already hear the stories coming from down there, right? That the tip hotline has been activated, that there's already a player that has get, gotten caught and he had to be quarantined for a couple of days. Uh, I like to call it the gun line off of the movie Life. If you go past a certain point, you got to quarantine because it's no longer, uh, you know, within the, the, the region, within the proximity that the NBA wants you to be. So, you know, listen, it has to survive. If it doesn't survive, the NBA is going to be a lot of, uh, out of a lot of money. And then you start talking about bigger issues like, how to reconstruct the CBA because you're going to have to go through some economics and it's not going to be pretty. Listen, they're already set up to be that way anyway, but if they can pull this bubble off, it lowers the blow to their CBA. So, you know, it has to work some way, somehow. And if there's enough players, as long as the spread does not go too far, I think they're going to try to pull this thing off. And you know what? I think the country obviously wants it. I think people need it. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the NBA pulls it off because, uh, as you said, it's a lot riding on the line when you yep. talk about people's health. Jabari, thanks very much. I guess we got sort of two cheers for uh, for hard seltzer there, folks. Thanks very much, uh, Kate, Seema, Frank, and Jabari. All righty, uh, still ahead on the exchange. A thousand cars drove in for a concert in the parking lot of the Monmouth Park racetrack last weekend as part of the Count Basie Center for the Arts pivot to its new normal. We'll talk to the Basie CEO, Adam Philipson, about that and get an update on his PPP loan next. Shows of Beyond Meat are on the move. Uh, over to Aditi Roy now for a market flash. Aditi. That's right. Beyond Meat shares are up more than 4.5% and uh, on session highs right now. Upon the news that it is entering the Brazil market, Beyond Meat has announced that it will be in 29 stores, grocery stores, retail stores in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Again, this marks the entry of Beyond Meat in Brazil. Uh, Beyond Meat has been on a tear in terms of international markets lately. Uh, it has uh, entered China back in the spring and expanded that entry in from food service into retail as well. Uh, but again, we're looking at the shares. They're up about four and a half percent. Back to you guys. Aditi, thank you very much. Aditi Roy. Uh, coronavirus restrictions have forced America's small businesses to think of novel ways to operate. And that includes dining tables in parking lots, outdoor gym classes, even pop-up drive-in movie theaters. But the Count Basie Center for the uh, Arts in New Jersey is taking it a step further. 
The nonprofit hosted its first ever drive-in concert this past weekend, and about a thousand cars drove into the Monmouth Park racetrack parking lot in Oceanport to be serenaded by Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. But Count Basie CEO Adam Phillipson says drive-in concerts are merely a bridge until it can reopen its event center. For more on the path forward for live events, let's welcome back Adam Phillipson, the CEO of the Count Basie Center for the Arts in Red Bank, New Jersey. How did it go, Adam, the, uh, the virtual, not virtual, it was an in-person concert, uh, but a different kind live. of one? Uh, it, it, it was great, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It was successful. We had, I think it was uh, two of the largest concert gatherings in North America since since this all started. Where I was last weekend uh, out on uh, Long Island, not far out on Long Island, they did a similar thing with a concert of a, of a um, uh, Eric Clapton tribute band you pulled in in your car. Then they were having a version of the uh, Tribeca Film Festival two nights later at Nickerson Park, uh, which sold out and people go yeah. and watch movies. You know, it's amazing to see the innovation that is happening. Uh, I think what's incredible that we learned was if done safely, which we did, and our team really did a fantastic job, is that it provided an outlet, and these are all providing outlets to experience entertainment. And the feedback is that if it's safe and you feel like it was, in that way, a positive experience, that people need this back in their lives. How much did you charge? Uh, It was between 150 up to 250. We had some gold circle up front in the first three or four rows, and then it was a general admission, 150 per car. You could have four people in the car, uh, you know, uh, masks on if you were outside of the car, going to the bathroom or anything like that. And people were dancing uh, on their cars. You know, my families were out. My son was dancing on the car. We all were ha- people had a really, really good time. We have some pictures I think we're showing of, of the uh, expanse of automobiles that were there. How, do, how many people showed up or how many cars showed up? I guess a better way to yeah, put so it. So we had about a thousand cars, which uh, uh, averaged three or four in the car. So we were somewhere between three and four thousand people. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. I gather that some of the people at the back were listening to the music on their FM radios because the speakers didn't carry that far. That is true. Plus, there was a, a delay. So, so yeah, we probably, the, I would say, the back half were listening on their FM radio. And, and like I said, as people were leaving, you know, they, they were really grateful for the creativity, yeah. grateful for, for the way in which people are doing this, and also grateful that it helped raise some money for the Basie, but also for the New Jersey Pandemic Relief Fund. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, was, it's a great performing arts center down there. It's in Red Bank, right? It's in Red Bank is where your main office is, right? We yeah. are in Red Bank. Yeah, it's a great town. If you're ever in, in northern New Jersey, you should go, go down and see Red Bank. It's a wonderful place. Let's talk about the PPP loan, which I know you took. Uh, I can't remember the amount. What have you done with it? Is, uh, have the proceeds been dispersed yet? What, what, what is the status? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that went pretty fast. I mean, we had uh, uh, about $750,000 that went for salaries, that went for... Um, you know, payroll tax, healthcare, things of that nature. And it, you know, that wasn't, uh, wasn't a lifesaver by any means. It was a small bridge, but we're certainly grateful we got it. Um, you know, everyone in the industry is asking Congress to extend and recapitalize the PPPs. And, um, you know, we were all hoping for a bailout like the UK offering 1.5 billion pounds of support for the country's arts venues. And I think uh, we certainly need PPP round two. How much of the roughly $750,000 loan will you plan on repaying? The other portion of it will be forgiven, I presume, because you used it for payroll or or benefits and things like that. That's correct. I think we'll probably somewhere around 80% will be forgiven. 
which is fantastic for us. Obviously, that that part that's not forgiven is about a one percent interest paid out over a few years. So we'll we'll be in a good spot with that in terms of servicing that debt. But uh, you know, eighty percent forgiven is is fantastic for us and very helpful. Of yeah. So what what else do you have on on slate? I see you have Eliza Schlesinger, a comedian uh, who is who is terribly funny. I actually know her family a little bit. She is she's oh, truly hilarious. She's great. She's she's. Uh, we have her coming up at the end of July. We also have uh, Almost Queen, uh, a great Queen tribute band that sells out 5,000-seat venues. So we're excited to have them as well and have a sing-along Queen evening. And then uh, toward the end of the, of the summer in August, we're looking at a bunch more just to kind of keep it going. Like you said, it's, uh, you know, it's just a runway until we can get reopened. But yeah. while people are willing to come out and experience the arts, we... Uh, we're going to keep doing these. People like to, to, to do things that are different and new, even it's, if it's a kind of a throwback experience. It's a happening. Adam Phillipson, thank you very much. Continue. Good luck to you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Still ahead, as back-to-school spending uh, begins, and uh, often it does in the summer. Well, this year, who knows? As often as the back-to-school goes, so go the holidays, at least according to one analyst it does. A look at the retailers most at risk for the rest of the year and some bright spots when we return. Welcome back, everybody. The S&P retail ETF, the XRT, is up about 70 percent since the March lows. But my next guest says don't cheer it just yet. This year's back to school season or lack of back to school season could be like nails on a chalkboard for some at risk retailers. Joining me now, Stacey Whitlitz, founder and president of SW Retail Advisors. Stacey, always great to see you. How have you been? Hey, Tyler. Nice to see you. Good. Uh, Fantastic. Let's talk about back to school season, which really sort of kicks off roughly now. Uh, but who knows where there's going to be back to school? That's the big question. So back to school represents about 20% of annual spend. So that's a big number here. It's, you know, the season just behind Christmas. And perhaps more importantly, as everything's getting pushed back and there are big question marks about, are we going back to school? You know, the average household spends over $500. If you're going back to university, the average household is spending over $1,000. Are we really going to see that on track with all these big question marks about pushing openings back or maybe not opening at all. Yeah, I wonder if there might be a migration of spending away from clothing and backpacks and things like that and toward technology. Absolutely, Tyler. And, you know, usually you see that back to school school, back to school spend split between technology, consumer electronics and other things, clothes, backpacks, all the things you talked about this year. That's that could be more like 75% of the mix here. So the traditional back-to-school apparel players, like a Kohl's, like a Macy's, department stores, they are going to get a double whammy here because, you know, the spend in apparel could be still down 30 40 50% if we don't go back. If I, if I take the other side of that coin, my, my supposition would be that maybe the, the multi-line retailers like a Target or a Walmart where I can get clothing, I can get school supplies, I can get electronics, might be beneficiaries. Absolutely. So, you know, what we've seen is um, people are nervous about being in stores. More and more retailers, including Walmart, are saying now you have to wear masks. So 
the consumer wants to get it all done in, in one shop, right? So you can go into Target, you can go into Walmart, you can get your consumer electronics. By the way, both have revamped their consumer electronics spaces and up their game. You can get your food. You're going to be have to, you're going to have to feed your children many meals at home rather than sending them to school. You can get all your back to school there in one shop. And I think that's going to be the big trade here is the consumer wants to get it one and done. So I get you, you started by saying, you know, people generally spend five hundred dollars on back to school or a thousand if it's a university. I guess you could make the argument, could you maybe that it might be more expensive because people are going to be spending on expensive electronics rather than the uh, the twenty nine dollar uh, pair of jeans or whatever it is. It could be. And, and yes, there'll be severe pressure for households to ramp up their technology. You know, if you have a couple mm-hmm. kids at home, you're going to need a couple of iPads to accommodate all of them. This is going to be a big pressure on households. And it's probably at a time where, you know, some of the subsidies are are rolling off for families. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be it's a big very pressure hard. on holiday. I, I know of families in my town where they have multiple children. We only have one child at home, multiple children, and they all need to be on a laptop at the same time yes. to, to be on the Zoom classroom or whatever. Let's get a quick thought on the on the future of the fate of the malls. Yeah, the malls are in a tough spot. So, you know, you look at the lower tier, lower quality malls, and it's about 30 percent of the total mix. And they could actually go away over the next 12 to 18 months. Then you look at the A malls, like the Simon Property Group, who, you know, 95% occupancy, they look great. However, in 2019, a third of the new leases for some of these malls were in entertainment. They were in health. Think gyms. Think, you know, just entertainment where they're where there's a lot of people and density that's not your friend anymore. So that's going to be a pressure here. And so don't forget that the A malls are not going to leave this unscathed, mm-hmm. particularly as we see right. so many store closings. Stacy, it's great to see you. Take good care. Good to see you, Tyler. Stay safe. Stacey Woodlitz, we appreciate it. Thank you. And we appreciate your being here and watching The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.